Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 110th episode of the Truth Island podcast. In life, there are many things that we find ourselves worshiping at one time or another. Beauty, wealth, power, and sometimes things may seem to make sense in the moment, but then later appear to us to be rather ridiculous. One of the most famous stories occurs in the Bible when Moses ascends Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from God. Despite having witnessed miracles in the form of various plagues and the parting of the Red Sea, many Hebrews were soon quick to forget about the miracles that they had just witnessed. And just 40 days later, they pressure Aaron, Moses' brother, to construct a golden calf for them when Moses does not make a reappearance. In many respects, the golden calf has a much deeper implication than simply being an ancient false idol that people temporarily worshipped. In many respects, because the calf is golden, it is often said to represent the pursuit of wealth, as while money can appear shiny and alluring in the moment, can often come at the expense of something else, such as time with loved ones and family. The idea also suggests the pitfalls of worshipping the visible over the invisible. We often idolize what is most pervasive in our society without question, which diverts our attention to what is instead of what will. In many respects, focusing on only what we can see might be creating some blind spots as we move into the future. Joining me to help reorient what we worship, I am once again joined by Kenny. Kenny, let me ask you a strange question. When you were a boy, what was the one toy that you wanted more than anything else? <laughs> I would say that when I was a boy, I wanted a Superman toy. Huh, tell me more. I, I, I always, so growing up, I, I grew up, my, the first um, half of my childhood was, you know, I was with my mom, my mom's side of the family and they were pretty much, not very wealthy at all and so toys with some was something that you know that we um they couldn't really afford to get me and so but i had a lot of friends either at school or um, in the neighborhood who had toys and my favorite toy when i saw them playing with it or saw it in you know someone's car or something like that was a superman toy because superman was you know the only cartoon if if not the only one of the only cartoons that we could get on our um, local stations. And it meant the world to me to have the Superman toy. Unfortunately, I never got the Superman toy, but I do remember I do remember wanting it a lot, yeah. Now, the, uh, the reason I asked this story is because when I was a kid, there was a heck of a lot of things I wanted, namely like a Nintendo 64, um, you know, all, all video games. You know, I was, <laughs> I was definitely not the most pleasant kid in the world. I wanted a lot. And I often didn't quite get a lot. And looking back, that was probably a pretty darn good thing that I didn't get a lot of the things that I wanted. And I, I sometimes, you know, when I'm walking through a store like a Target, sometimes I'll just casually pass by the toy section and just take a look. And, you know, I have an adult mind right now and I look at these action figures and I'm like, man, what, what a waste of plastic right there. You know, I just look at it and I'm just like, you know, like, you know, what, what do they want? Oh, they want $17.99 for this? Great. You know, that would probably, that'll probably captivate a 10-year-old for maybe three days tops before they just toss it away. And I think in many ways, 
the lesson, and I think our parents did right by us, Kenny, because when we're children, we have a lot of golden calves that we worship in the form of toys, in the form of things that we think that we want. You know, we may, you know, maybe, maybe when we're younger, we even desire having an expensive car. You know, we all have these golden calves. And as we get older, the more ridiculous they become, right? We, we look at those things that we really obsessed over, that we really worshiped over. And as time goes on, we realize, man, this was all the hype. This was all, you know, everything. And what happens is that it's easy to kind of look back to when we were younger and think how ridiculous we, we were. It's a lot harder to actually do that and see that in the present moment. Absolutely. I mean, that's why I don't think that's, it's almost like the, the, the object of our desire simply, or should I say, it's not, the desire is still there, but the object of our desire is different. Exactly. So that fancy new toy, you want a fancy new car, or that fancy new phone, or, you know, the fancy new hats, shoes, I've heard of people killing one another over things like Jordans. <laughs> um, it's, yeah. We do look back at the toys and say, well, pff, Superman toy, that's just dumb. What I really want is that iPhone, but we drool over it the same exact way. In fact, now we're actually worse because there's no mom and dad to restrain us. So our lusts and our desires are just, you know, out of control. Now, the reason I, I think, you know, people are thinking, well, why am I bringing this up, right? Like we were all kids at one point. And what's the big deal that you idolize a Superman? What's the, what's the big deal that I idolize having a fancy Nintendo? And I think that in economics, we have something called the opportunity cost of every decision that you make. So if you spend your time doing one thing, you're gaining something, but you're also losing out on the time that you could have been doing something else. You know, for example, mm -hmm. if you're spending five hours playing video games, that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity cost because you could have been spending that five hours learning a different language or something like that. And so, I think it's important to actually slow down and pay attention to what we're chasing, because we might be wasting our time chasing something that we may not, you know, not only will we regret, but then we're also going to have more regret when we realized, my goodness, I could have been paying attention to this other thing all along. The human experience is filled with all kinds of regrets, you know, and this is one of those places that we never really ever think that we will experience regrets is in pursuing those things that we desire. Right. Life has shown us over and over and over again that you do end up regretting those things. So it's okay. The classic situation, guy meets girl, girl is amazing, the best thing ever, guy dates girl, five five minutes later, guy realizes girl is crazy, guy wants to get out, guy can't get out. On <laughs> 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 the line, he's married to her with seven kids. Right, and yeah. Like, <laughs> and he's looking back and he's saying, I uh, should not have done that. The point is simply that, yeah, we... we um we regrets is a part of life that we can't really escape and yeah i, I do believe that your I, I do believe in the opportunity cost i think i mean obviously that's just, i think it's just plain but i, I believe I, I, what i mean by that is that i i do believe that it's important to um know what you're doing with your time for example but but yeah regrets is part of human experience and it's most likely and it's always and i think it's always attached to our desires as well 
Yeah, and what, what I noticed, and the reason I kind of brought up the example of Aaron and the golden calf, uh, sorry, by the way, you know, that well, it was a different Aaron. It wasn't me. Yeah, I'm sorry. I dropped the ball on that, guys. Um, you know, the, the reason I bring up that story is that it kind of shows that impatience be the the thing that kind of leads us down these really dark alleyways, you know, it was 40 days, right? The Hebrews just had to wait 40 days for their prophet Moses to come down the mountain and bring them a whole new way of life. And I think this is what happens a lot is that we're just so bloody impatient. We want the, we want that hot girl. We, and we want her right now. We want, uh, that promotion. We want that job. We want, we want it now. And what ends up happening is, is if we focus so much on getting what we want right now, we miss out on some of the things that could be much better for us in the long run, you know? And, and like I said, I'm just giving a hypothetical out there. If I had focused less on wanting a Nintendo in my youth, maybe I could have invested in some other areas areas that would have been more prosperous down the line. And that's that's kind of where that that have that instant gratification and that instant desire kind of creates our own grave because when we're constantly surrounded by what's visible and why did I want that Nintendo? It's because everyone else had it, Kenny. Everyone else had it. And I didn't want to feel left out. I want, hey, I want to be a part of the club here. I want to talk with everybody. So I think sometimes chasing what everyone else has and what's extremely visible is actually one of the most dangerous things that we can do. Yeah, I, I believe that. I mean, I mean, when, I, I, when you're a kid, you don't really have much, how you say, um, control. I think there is some control, but not full, not, not, not the adult-like control that you have over your own will. Mm-hmm. So a kid is really tossed about by their own desires. And that's so perfectly fine because they have parents, to, you know, have hopefully good parents to level them out. Um, but when you're an adult, you don't really, and especially if you haven't learned anything like self-control, if you haven't learned anything along the lines of patience, along the lines of opportunity costs, along the lines of um, basically just simple practical wisdom, you're going to end up throwing your time, your money, and all these kinds of things away on things that you don't really need. And yeah, I mean, people are incredibly impatient. Now we're... we we are becoming more impatient. I mean, the the bad decisions, most of the bad decisions made today are decisions made because people were impatient. Yes. You got patient, you, you were impatient, you got angry, you hit somebody. You got impatient, you got angry, you yelled and chewed somebody out. You got impatient, you picked one without thinking it through. You went left, you moved to California without thinking it through, but boom, you're there, you're broke, you're unhappy and so forth. I'm mm-hmm. sure things turn around, hopefully. But the point is, th- is simply that when we're impatient, we don't really make the best decisions. Yes, yes. You know, I'm, I'm actually glad that you mentioned California. I think that's a great example. You know, I hear these stories of people leaving the cities. I mean, oh no, like it's it's going down here. And this, it's a lot of like uh, a talk of both fear. Like I hear the fear and I hear the impatience in their voice. Right. And look, sometimes in this world, you do have to have agency and you do have to take action. Okay. Like life's not all about leaning back and just letting whatever happens to you happens. But I think that when we don't, um, when we're acting on fear, 
and we're acting really on impulse by not really tempering your immediate desires and not tempering what's very what, what's really physically like i think when we're making decisions about what we want one of the things that we have to ask ourselves is am i really going to want this 10 years from now? Am I going to want it 20 years from now? And that's a very difficult thing to do because you actually have to have some visualization of what you might be like 10, 20 years from now. And that's that's incredibly difficult for people to visualize or see or even believe. Well, it goes against the fundamental, in the fundamental um, how you say, force by which humans being, human beings operate in this world. Um, there's a guy, what's his name? Um, John Calvin, right? Mm -hmm. He said the human heart is a is a factory of idols. And simply simply put, we always create things that we want to falsely give ourselves to entirely, not falsely, but give ourselves to entirely. We worship basically. Right. No, whether it's our kids, our family, our job, our car, phone, whatever it may be, we will give ourselves entirely to this thing. Human beings, the, 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 the mode of operation for humans is simply this. Is it pleasurable? Will it give me power? Is it beautiful? Goes back, and this is, this, these, this, these ideas go all the way back to even, um, I say, the book of James in the New Testament, where James talks about, he says, um, um, all that is in the world is a lust of, lust of the flesh, sorry, um, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. Yes. So this is these are these are these are the things that really motivate us. This these are our inertial forces, the foundational the foundational um, the foundation by which on which we stand to make decisions and live our lives. So it the very nature the very the, the very core of the human nature, the very very core of our being, is literally an idol factory because we are moved by pleasure, power, and beauty. And when we're moved by these things, we, how you say, we chase after them. We, we, it's, it's the only thing that makes us feel alive. I mean, you talk to, you talk to teenagers and you talk to, especially teenagers, it's most people really, but from teen, teenagers all the way up, we're dealing with people who are, who are either looking for the perfect girl or the perfect guy. Mm -hmm. beauty we're looking for we're looking at people who are having you know either the best sex to the best alcohol to the best drugs pleasure you know we're looking at people who are looking for you know the best paying job to the best best house on the block to the best cars on the street pride of life and we're talking that that's power right yes so this is all life is really i mean for 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 grand, for a major part of the world, this is what it means to be alive: is to be moved by these inertial forces. And if these these inertial forces are powerful, which they are, in people, oh no, this idols, uh, idols, beaucoup, man. <laughs> no, and you know, this is also like you know, this is also not just something that's um, in religion. This is also an observation that um, Plato also made, in, in the sense that, like, when he was writing of Socrates, when Socrates would be like, "Well, how do you know that that's good?" or "How how do you know that that is a virtue?" or "How do you know that that is beauty?" for example. And what he was doing is that he wasn't just trying to be a pain in the behind. He was actually trying to get people to think very deeply, like. 
is that a virtue? Like if you pursue this to its absolute end, will, will that bring quote unquote happiness or will it bring good into your life? And what happens is that we, we have our reptilian quick, fast mind is like money, good, money, good. It's a very, it's like a very short, like think of, think of like a, like a long pipe or something like that. Now, when you say, uh, you know, oh, sex, good, uh, beauty, good. You're really using a very short pipe. It's a really small pipe where you're instantly have, you have the object of desire and then you immediately equate that with good. But if you actually stretch out that pipe and you take some twists and turns, you might actually end up at a very different set of conclusions as to what is actually good for you. And I, I think, I think like if you think even of if you're pursuing a romantic partner, um, and I, you know, maybe I was guilty of this when I was younger. If you just think of of the body, and if you just think of the flesh, as you just described, you're actually not really thinking about like compatibility. Is this person good? Is this person loyal? Is this person trustworthy? Is this person wise? And those are the like tough questions, right? There's like, there's a reason why the divorce rate in America is over 50%. It's because people use the shortcuts in their thinking. They're immediately going with the shortcuts of like, yeah, this looks good in the moment. Like there, there are guys out there that are literally going on Tinder or going on these websites. And literally the only question they ask themselves is, is this girl going to look good at the party that I'm going to next week? Is this going to be a good trophy for me to walk in with next week? That's how their, their entire decision-making is based on that paradigm of like, this will make me look cool and popular in the moment. And they're not actually stretching out the pipe to its like longest length and actually figuring out if that will be a virtue, you know, 20 years from now. No, 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 they're not. Most people aren't. I mean, the only thing that we really think about 20 years from now, 30 years from now is money. Because we know that that is actually how you, you know that we need that. And we know that we will not physically survive if we don't have that. So we're forced to think about that. Yes, yes. Like most, most of the time, everything is, you know, because we can get rid of it as quickly as possible, be it human, kid, it doesn't matter. We don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. so, um, we're living in a world where um, this, is, this is the norm. Idols are normal. And, it's, and, it, and not only are they normal, they're encouraged. All of our media and our you know advertisements simply feed this fire right and right i saw a commercial just the other day i it's i think about a perfume maybe dior or something like that a very beautiful young lady is lying down in a, in a maybe in a, um, in a, on, on a boat and on a young man maybe i think they're like maybe late 20s early 30s jumps off of cliff he's also <laughs> very handsome Cut, 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 cut like a, like a, like a, like a Roman god. <laughs> <laughs> and dives into the water and he swims up to her and um, some, something along the lines of a kiss. And then they say Dior and they bring the perfume. And you see, I'm sitting there wondering what the hell am I looking at? Because first of all, that has nothing to do with how the perfume smells. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> But they are saying something. They are saying something. They're saying these kinds of people are the kinds of people that buy this perfume. Right. Yeah. And if you want to be, if you want to be, if you want to be like this, because we all want to be beautiful, rich, because we assume they're rich because they're beautiful sure. and doing nothing, right? So if you want to be beautiful and rich, 
And you at least you want to show you're beautiful and rich. It's this perfume that you get. You know? Yes, yes. And the human this works. It just works. Now, the other thing is that there's also a huge waste, I think, of human potential that I'm really seeing here. Because I think that when we're immediately pursuing one thing, we may not be investing in something else. And I, I think of this, you know, I think this has happened quite a bit in this country to the young of this country. And, and I think that children that work really hard, children that are very prudent, children that show immense promise are sometimes passed over, right? Like they're passed over because they represent the future. They represent an unknown future. So we're, we're not really investing and in mentoring our young as much as we should be. And why is that? I, I really think, I really think like why, you know, in all the jobs that I've had, I've never really had like a mentor or anyone that kind of took a shining. Maybe I was just a crappy employee, who knows? But I, I see this trend happening a lot where we're not really investing in younger people. We're not really taking an interest in what they're doing. And I think the reason for that is, it's nothing personal. It's just that if you're young and you don't have a lot of money and you don't have status, people tend to ignore you and just say, well, maybe you'll end up being something. Maybe you won't. You're an unknown future. Let me kind of focus in on who's who's powerful right now. Let me put my, my eyes on who's, who's controlling the universe right now and sort of flock to that. And it's kind of like the, uh, I think in the Bible, something called like the Matthew effect, like the richer get richer and the poorer get poorer. Because like, if you have attention on you, well, then people are going to pay even more attention to you because you've already established yourself. So I think in some ways, we kind of need to start reversing that and start asking ourselves, let's not worry about who has promise today. Let's worry about who might have promise tomorrow. Because if we don't start doing that, we're going to fall into some high degree of stagnation. If we're not looking towards ideas and people that represent our future, the future that we want, we're not going to really go anywhere. The people that we're worshiping today that are awesome, guess what? One day they're going to die. Like it's, I, I, can, uh, I can guarantee that to you. And when they're gone, if you haven't cultivated a future of people to kind of take over, we're all as a society kind of royally screwed. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. There are a couple of reasons why nobody looks. First of all, a lot of, you know, a lot of, so we are, believe it or not, my, my generation and your generation are becoming the sirs and the madams. Yes, like right. We, no longer, we are, we are getting up there in our, you know, 30s. <laughs> and up, I'm serious. And very soon we're going to be. Good day to you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like. And, and But there's something strange about our, my generation and yours is that we don't believe in hierarchy. We don't believe in, um, we, we believe everybody's equal in the sense of, oh, the kids, you know, that is that is that whole thing. And I, I don't want to sound unkind, but I do believe it's silly in the sense of, because it's so contrary to reality and it does a lot of damage. So you, you sit down with a kid and you say, you know what? Hey kid, um, you and me were the same. No, he's five years old. He's not the same as you. He doesn't know jack shit. So the whole idea of, you know, I don't need to mentor this, this kid because we're the same because there's no difference between you and me. No, there's a big difference. You've experienced a lot in life. Hopefully you're wise. You've learned a thing or two from it. Hopefully you're confident. Hopefully you have some time, maybe some money to give. Hopefully you have some advice to give. Hopefully you have 
you have a you know a, a, a wealth of knowledge, something to give this kid, you know, and you. you so the whole idea that you know the kid, the guy who puts his hat backwards, sits sits on a chair, you know, like a like a gangster rapper, and says, "Hey kids, I'm here to relate with you. We're, you know, we're, um, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm, and I'm here to talk. I'm like, no, you're you're a middle aged white man who needs to stop this. <laughs> no, so uh, I think people have to stop trying to relate with kids. Stop trying to relate with the younger because. It's 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 a waste of time. Yeah. Uh, is, you know, America is very individualistic, very individualistic. It's not a community oriented people. We're not a community oriented people. We like to believe we are. Like we, you know, we have shows like Friends and Blackish, and um, a lot of our fa- a lot of our shows are about family. I mean, right. even what's it called Big Bang Theory is about these group of nerds who really care and love each other and always in each other's apartments. It's not like that in real life. Mm-hmm. Nobody gives a damn. <laughs> the other, but you know, I, I think I think part of the explanation you gave is correct. I think there's also an even simpler explanation as to why we're not properly mentoring Definitely. these children, and that's because we're just too bloody damn lazy to do so. I, I think I really I really think that it, it's you're you're 12 years old right now. You're 10 years old. You're 15 years old. It's going to be a long time before you're of age to do anything. I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm really, I'm really just not, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to worry about if you have the proper values. I'm not going to worry about what your potential could be. It doesn't concern me. And there's no immediate return on investment, right? Because like, you know, who wants to mentor somebody who's 17 years of age, and it might be, you know, another 15 years before they are actually in some kind of position of power or whatever. Most people just make the, you know what, that's not worth my time. You you know, you'll be long gone by that point. But what people fail to see is they fail to see that if you take that time to mentor somebody or to actually kind of bring somebody up who's kind of unknown or in the shadows, then you can be when they become famous or they become a somebody, they're going to credit you. You're going to be, you know, that's your Alexander the Great, and you're going to be their Aristotle, who's going to be like, hey, my mentor was there for me. He believed in me. He showed me the way. And and I'll, and, and then that's a part of your legacy. You know, everyone that you help along this journey is a part of your legacy. Even, even if they go on to do things 20 years after you mentored them or after 20, or years after you had any impact, you were a part of doing that. I, again, I still think that because people are so fixated not on others' potential, but on what they are in the here and now, we're kind of losing that very valuable chain link that we need for society to, to continue moving forward. I agree with you. I think, I think that absolutely plays a part as well. It does. Absolutely, it does. And um, I think that's the, you know, one of the best things a person can do to change this is, you know, look for, open your eyes to the people around them, to the young around them, and see if there's anybody that has shown at least character yeah. That is shown promise that is shown because it doesn't matter. You can have, you can be, you can be the most, you know, you can have the greatest potential in the world and just be just a god awful piece of work. And you know, it just becomes hard to even mentor someone who thinks you're better than you. Mm-hmm. You know, but the point is simply to look around and find people young who are 
who they were willing to give their, I mean, personally for me, there were people in my life like this uh, throughout my life. Um, the one, the man, uh, the man that I named my son after, Masaru, was a big part of my life and still is to this day. Um, and it's, it, it's with, without people like him and people like him in my life, I don't think I'd be where I am today. But a lot of the people who mentored me were not Americans. They were all foreigners. Masar is a Brazilian. Um, a lot of them, my uncles in Nigeria. Um, I've, 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 um, I found it hard, found it hard to see a, an American man or woman who's willing to, you know, take take such a risk on a, on a, on a young lad. No, I, I think that's something rather sad. And I, I think you're spot on with that, that like, I, I think, you know, maybe it's happening on a global level, but it's definitely like three times that effect here in the States. No, no, no doubt about that, that it's like, we, you know, for, first off, we the number of fatherless homes has just exponentially increased just tenfold, you know, just like, just it's, 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 it's absolutely at a, at a, at a tipping point at this point. And I, I think that the, just the utter and sheer reluctance to, to kind of, what, what it also, it's just this idea of like, we're looking to kind of like turnkey people way too quickly. You know, I've had jobs before Kenny, where it's like, oh, they were like, oh man, you're, you're not learning quick enough. You're not picking up you know, you're not, you're not turnkey. You're not picking this up quickly. You're not working out here. We get, you got to go. You got to go. I'm like, Hey man, you know, it's my first month on the job here. I'm trying my best. And what would end up happening is they tended to favor people that could learn really quick people who I consider to have what I call like high processing power. They, they, they're able to pick it up really quickly, but guess what? those people sometimes were assholes or sometimes those people, uh, you know, quickly moved on. And it's like, wow, you invented, you kind of invested in someone that you thought had value because they were quick. But what you didn't actually look at were the things that mattered. Persistency. Are they of good character? Are they loyal? Do they have a good heart? Do they, do they want to do right by people? Like those are the, va- those are the invisible variables that we seldomly look at. We constantly look at like, how, how can I make a profit off this person? How can this person be a useful instrument to me right now? Forget about 10 years. How can they be a useful instrument to me right now? And what's happening is that we're actually sacrificing a vast amount of wealth and we're sacrificing a vast amount of potential because of this very quick-minded turnkey kind of um, way that we, we view human capital. Yeah, I mean, th- those things don't matter at all. They don't, they don't matter a lot at all. You know, it's, it's um, humans are not, there comes to this, there's a place where the human effort gets to where um, things become so fast paced, so successful, and because America, I mean, America is very successful. And I mean, it's incredibly successful. Mm-hmm. So, there's a place where human being, the human being in front of you is no longer a human being. They're simply a cog in a machine. Yeah. And if they're not performing well, they're not performing their, their duties fast enough, well enough, um, at least within a, re- within, within a reasonable margin, you know what I mean? Um, they have to go. Because what matters isn't character, um, hearts and all that. No, what matters is profits. It's, and it's, and, 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 and you can't fault a company for that. 
So unfortunately, nobody cares. It's not about you. It's not about the good hearts. It's not about how, you know, if, if your, your family hasn't eaten in a week, nothing like that. It's just about profit. That's all that matters to them. So the only thing that I, the, the, the only way that I can see this is, you know, the, this mentor or someone coming, you know, coming down and, you know, um, trying to encourage the young is simply on a very individual level. Because once you try to make it on a corporate or a collective level, you're going to run into all kinds of things because once 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 money is involved once once it is a once we say okay we're going to put we're going to we're going to make a scholarship and we're going to put these four kids to through a school scholarship just the first time it's going to work perfectly well maybe a little bickering here and there but it's going to be fine those kids are going to get through you're going to say well that worked that's brilliant Let's do it again. And this time, let's make it 10 kids. Well, if we're making it 10 kids, we need to process more papers. We need to raise more funds, right? So we hire more people. So instead of having a staff of 20, we now have a staff of 50, right? So we got to pay all those 50. Well, somebody's got to be in charge. There's got to be some sort of a CEO, some sort of a founder, right? The next thing you know, by the time it's a third, the third set of the 20 kids going off to college, that business is no longer about kids going off to college. It's about making a profit. It's about keeping, keeping the reputation afloat. And so very soon they're gonna start kicking kids out if the kids don't meet certain standards. And so my point is simply this, if there's gonna be a massive, if there's gonna be real change, real meaning on, you know, on the youth, on the younger people, it has to be on a very individual level. Humans, individual humans have to stand up, literally stand up and go and pick a kid and say, I'm gonna invest in your future, I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to make. I'm going to try to make you succeed. You know, in this in this game called life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because when we do it collectively, we pork it all up. Right, right. I I think I think I think that's that's a great idea. I'm also thinking about you know I'm thinking even about the people that we elect or the people that we kind of put into positions of power. Um, you know, as, as you know, we, we do live in a democracy and so forth. And I'm noticing this trend of like, you know, we're addicted to kind of electing people who have a track record of success, right? Like, oh my God, you know, this person um, started off with this amount of money and then they made like a fortune. And we, we see well, the, the variable that we're kind of zooming in is competence. We think that that person um, that was able to make a mini fortune for themselves is highly competent. Therefore, they are going to be an excellent um, president, an excellent senator, an excellent ruler, just by by the fact that they, they've been they have high degrees of competence. The one question that we're not asking ourselves: Do they have high levels of of compassion, or do they have high? You know, and and, and the two things may not be the same. You may have made a mini fortune for yourself. But were you fair to your employees? Did you pay them a livable wage? Did you treat them with respect? Did you cut corners when you were making your profit? Because why are those questions so important? Because if you cut corners when you were building up your fortune, when we elect you to be president or we elect you to be a representative, you're going to cut the same darn corners when you're in that position of power. So we have to be very careful at the person that we're electing or the people that we're entrusting into positions of power, because we have to ask ourselves, is this person 
a golden calf? Or is this person a prophet that's going to come down from a mountain in 40 days from now and really show us the way? With the great power comes inaccessibility. We, we, it comes back to what we were talking about earlier about, about these inertial forces. So the, the competence is a pride of life thing. It's that pride of, you know, you, you are, we, we enjoy those sharp guys. We enjoy those people who are um, those gals and girls who can, um, um, guys and gals who can, you know, get their hands dirty and make something beautiful out of it, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. Give them seminars and, 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 and book deals, which is good for them. It really is. But here's the problem. The problem is that the human, because what you're talking about here is, is fundamental to human nature. And it, this is where it gets weird because I don't think that humans stop here. I think that we change. We can change. We don't always change, but we can change. Humans love idols. We've established that. And that's when we, we have shows like American Idols. Right? <laughs> it's about a person who had nothing, gets on a show. And then has something, right? With the, with the only something they have, which is singing or dancing or juggling dogs. Talent, and, yeah. And they make something out of themselves, right? And we, we applaud that. We love that. We love that. We love that. That kind of, and, we, and often we wish, wow, wouldn't be, wouldn't it be great if we could do that too? So we love stuff like that. But what ends up happening is we end up gravitating towards people who are complete bastards. Yes. Yes. Because most of the time it's complete bastards that make it to the top. It's just that simple. And that's, it, it, the, and this is exactly the problem is that, look, is it, we should value competence. I think, it, I think it's something that could be a real virtue that we should look for. But that virtue also has to be coupled with good character. And I don't know, I don't think that the two things are mutually exclusive. I think if you're highly competent, you might be an asshole or you may not be an asshole. I think the idea behind it is, sorting out people who are highly competent and also happen to be good people at the same time. Maybe they're really rare, but we need to start searching for them. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think they are rare, but I think that people don't care. Mm. Nobody, cares about, nobody cares about compassion until they need it. Right, yes. It's just that simple. You can have a conversation with your friends about food stamps and everybody's like, no, food stamps are, you know, wrong they're wrong they're killing the nation food stamps no damn food stamps and then they find out that you know their sister is about to go bankrupt and she might you know get food stamps all of a sudden yeah i guess food stamps, yeah, i guess that's okay. Food stamps, okay the point is this people don't care about when human beings are so we are so I think we are incredibly beautiful creatures, but we are beautiful in darkness. We 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 are our our greatest attributes, you know, like how a fish swims brilliantly. We are we are much more maneuverable in wickedness and darkness. We just really know our way around it. Mm -hmm. So people don't care about they don't care about compassion until they need it. The point is simply that. We the only way that we can change that is if we change our relationship with those inertial forces. Yes. The only way we change our relationship with, with, with inertial forces 
are the very things that we're trying to reconcile in two people. So we're trying to reconcile the brilliance and the character. So brilliance and good heart. Uh-huh. And that's the only way that we ourselves can change something. Because what need what we need in order to change our relationship with inertial forces is wisdom, head, and love, hearts. We need those two things. Without those two things, it's going to be the same thing over and over again. That's why when you find, there's certain people that you find in this world and you find that they don't give a crap about politics. They don't give a crap about, you know, making excess amounts of money. They don't care. They're just, they do, they're not moved by those forces. They just chill. And you find out, well, he, you say, well, wow, what a dumbass. And then you talk to him, he's like, you know, he's pretty smart, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and I see, wow, pleasant guy. What a just a pleasant guy to be around too. See now, this, this I, man, I think what you just said was remarkably um, eloquent and beautiful. Thank you. Um, I think that the question that we keep asking ourselves, and this is kind of why we keep getting stuck with assholes in positions of power, is because we're always asking ourselves, who do we want to be around at our best? Right. We're always thinking about like, oh, this guy is super cool. Whoa, this guy is super successful. When I'm at my best, I want him around. He's going to show me the best damn time humanly possible. But what we're not asking ourselves is who do we want around us when we are at our worst? Because when you're at your worst, you don't want a highly competent, you know, efficient person around you because they're going to freaking abandon you. They're going to be like, well, screw you, useless tool. Goodbye, rusted hammer. They're going to toss you away like old tools that are no longer of any use to them. So if we start asking ourselves, like, who do I want to be around me when I'm at my darkest, when I'm at my lowest? They may not be necessarily the most efficient or competent or successful person in the world, but they're going to be there for you. And when we vote, when we entrust people with power, that's the kind of question that we need to all be asking ourselves is, is this person going to have my back when we're down or when this nation or when this country is down? And I, I, think, I think you're right. It does happen at the individual level before it happens at the societal level. Yeah, I believe so. And, you know, see, I, I, I would say that. So I think these people are incredibly rare. Yeah. They're rare because it's like lightning striking twice, Brad. It's, it's It just doesn't what it does, but it doesn't happen. You know, for a person, what it takes for a person, what it takes for a human being, an individual human being to cultivate their hearts to become a, a, a garden of, of, of almost unbelievable love, kindness, and honesty, and to cultivate their minds to be sharp and, and understanding. I, I can't see it. I just can't see it. I mean, I'm, I'm, looking at our te- I'm looking at our televisions. I can't see it. I'm looking at our commercials. I can't see it happen. I'm looking at the schools. I can't see it happening. Looking at social media, I can't see it happen. I see us going the exact opposite direction. Mm-hmm. You know happen. what? I, I think I think you just nailed it though. I think we're looking in the wrong places. 
I think when we're looking for the next idol, the next superhero, we're looking at very visual mediums. We're looking at television. We're looking at magazines. We're looking at things on our tablet. We're, we're completely lost in what the eyes can see and what's immediately in front of us. And I think in many ways, that is our golden calf right there. The golden calf will always be very tangible and it will always be very obvious. And you'll always be inundated with that image 24-7. I think we have to start looking at the invisible, my friend. And by invisible, I mean the people that are not on television, uh, the people that are working late nights at a hospital helping people, the people that are volunteering around the clock, um, you know, the public servants that we have that quietly are doing a good job every single day and show up to work on time and, and work late hours. Those are the invisible forces. And we can say, oh, well, they're not the most competent of the Harvard MBA. Well, you know what? Maybe that's not what we need. Maybe we don't need more Harvard MBA people um, coming around and telling us what to do. Maybe the answer is right in front of us because at the end of the day, I would take the guy who has a good heart sweeping the floor who I know is going to do the right thing at the right moment than some callous Harvard MBA person who's going to sell me down you know, for some money. Um, and I, I know that that sounds very cliche and very naive, but we got to, you know, the people that are highly visible, they're not helping all that much. And I think we need to start looking elsewhere if we're going to solve some of these problems. Kenny, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. It was a great time. This concludes the 110th episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.